from Rixie. This is Frameform. Hello and welcome back, listeners. It's another Wednesday on the Frameform pod, and we have something exciting and also something a little different that we don't normally do for our shows. We're talking about animation. Yes. Animation. Jen, Claire, what is your relationship with watching, I don't know, cartoons? Well, as a child of the 90s, you know, we didn't have social media and Netflix and all that sort of stuff. So my cartoon and my, like, animation consumption was newspapers, Archie Comics at the grocery store. Um, yeah. And watching a lot of animated movies. Um, All three of us grew up in the 90s, and that is an era that was known as the Disney Renaissance. And, of course, they weren't the only animation studio at the time, but we were very blessed with a lot of exposure to feature-length films and short format. And, honestly, a lot of these things were musical in nature. So I definitely have a deep affinity for animation and especially how it connects with screen dance and movies in general. What about you, Claire? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I was raised on Disney, and um, to the extent that, or at least my my family tells me, that I had no fewer than three full feature-length Disney films me- memorized. Wow. As in, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't have that kind of retention capability anymore. <laughs> it would be great if I did, but... Well, you were just talking about that Cronenberg movie where someone gets possessed. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that that's an idea, you know, Disney, you know, Disney princesses Cronenberg style that. Wow. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie. Just putting it out there. I think my favorite Disney princess spin-off is the SNL Real Housewives one, which we are totally linking in the show notes <laughs> now that I mentioned it. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. But yeah, my I definitely have a deep relationship with animation and your Saturday morning cartoons, of course. I was a huge Looney Tunes fan. And yes, I was a huge Space Jam fan. Come at me. <laughs> but I also watched a lot of the arts channel, which would stream on our local news affiliate or our local um, our local channel. And they actually had these um, stop motion animations representing like different operatic arias. So like there was like this, you know, stop motion walking tea set set to like a Rigoletto thing and like some beautiful animation for like pearl fishers and Bizet and stuff. So I really got into it in many different areas. I know one thing that was definitely a game changer for me was watching Fantasia as a child or any of those Disney films that were like very abstract and you know we've talked about how a narrative is not something that is just based on dialogue right they all had narratives but the way that they were more experimental and in a way more universal you know my within my household we spoke three different languages so being able to just put something on that was the universal mm-hmm. language that was visual and musical and dance based was really special and i think that Animation and just movies in general are a really amazing way that we can take movie magic to the next level and create something you could never produce in real life. And on top of that, it's a way to, you know, it's not oral tradition, but it's a way of capturing 
stories and passing them along to the next generation and, you know, a, a way of encapsulating technology and those possibilities at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I recreated like the Sailor Moon transformations. And oh my goodness. Just so wish. <laughs> you would. Yeah. Just so wish that that could happen <laughs> in real life, that I could suspend in real time and everything could change around me. But yeah, it's, it's another way that we can bend our reality and imagine a new reality, really. Well, as we think about all of these possibilities that animation could bring to pictures, let's talk about, you know, all the other experimental ways of how you can watch, in this case, dance and movement and how that could be done through manipulation besides just editing. Now, our first film that we're looking at is Norman McLaren's Padado. And this is a pretty famous film. He's also very much known for um, a, a film that I would watch for my classes when I was studying film, which was Begun Do Care, which is a 1949 musical animation with hand-drawn cells. Really awesome. We'll link that in the show notes. But in this case with Padado, he is taking two dancers, high contrast, and basically putting layers on top of them like and timing it out like by one frame less than the other creating these like visual almost zoetropes that you could see that kind of emulates this Edward Moybridge approach to film and pictures in motion. I love that you mentioned Moybridge because this is totally like a, a motion study set to music. And this film released in 1968, funded by the National Film Board of Canada. You know, I also watched it in film school. And in my view at the time, I just thought, oh, we're watching something Canadian because, you know, Canadians like to study Canadian things. But leaving that context and seeing just the general screen dance conversation and the general film canon. This is absolutely, as we talked about Metropolis being one of those crossovers, this is definitely a film that we should consider as part of our screen dance canon. And it just so happens to be animated. But through that animation, we really do see the specific capabilities of that unique hybrid form. Absolutely. And something about this, which um, the form of the film really highlights is not only that carving through space of choreography, but that carving through time and how the light really lets you see like where, how those bodies are, you know, are really carving through the time and really manipulating it in a way. And even that moment when that dancer is in an arabesque and really almost kind of reminds me of like a spinning top or like a spinning, spinning plate. It's, it's something that's made up of, iterations through time, but also plays with it that it really locks this moment or this illusion into one place. And I think it's it's brilliant in the way, it's brilliant in many ways, but in particular, it related to, to dance as a time-based media, but I think it does that extraordinarily. Pada de is one of those classic examples that just transcends the sort of niche viewership that might be interested in dance or experimental film. And as we've talked about with 
when we were talking about music videos in particular, like OK Go or Daft Punk Around the World, this is one of those videos that so clearly illustrates music that that becomes really satisfying. And I think that even to a viewer that doesn't have the expertise of like what technical things am I looking at dance or animation wise or even musically, they can still derive some meaning and understanding and and feel smart and at least engaged throughout. This film is definitely a great example of just one of the few possibilities and simple possibilities, I could say, with how we can record dance and how we could make it interesting by just putting layers on top of layers. And with this, I want to move towards, as we jump around today, we're going to be not just looking at one style of animation. Now, we could say this is like almost a form of stop motion because it is manipulating frames. In this case, Parada is, you know, real time, but with stop motion, we're literally going frame by frame, sometimes skipping frames. We don't see the full entire motion. And with that, there is also a great amount of films that showcase the abstract and deconstructed way of how these shapes are being put together. Yeah, and I think it's just all these films really show not only the potential for animation, but the potential to manipulate it because even when we see movement frame by frame, our, our brain is filling in the blanks. Even if we have something with a very, very low frame rate that has a bunch of images crammed together, we're imagining, we're putting the pieces together in our brains to, to imagine that movement. And that means that itself goes back to Moybridge. I always love telling Moybridge's story because it's a local story. It's um, actually, he was commissioned to take pictures of a prized horse that was owned by Leland Stanford, who founded Stanford University and was an actual literal robber baron and was kind of terrible. <laughs> but he took all these pictures and then noticed that if he could put these pictures in sequence in rapid succession, then he could simulate movement. And that essentially is what animation is. It's a, it's a hyper-planned simulation of movement potential. It really is playing on the audience's ability to fill in the blanks and sometimes twisting that expectation as well. And the root meaning of animation or to animate is to bring life to. And what we're able to do with technology and what people have been able to do in the past through just experimenting is absolutely fascinating. So I love what we've put together as our list and our range of picks from, you know, different points in history and different forms of animation. Yeah, and just one more recommendation. It's not an animated pick, but it's something related to this conversation since Moybridge has already come up a few times. There's a feature film called Edward produced in Vancouver and it really looks at this eccentric person and just what a brilliant mind he was doing all these experiments. And though it's not a film about dance, it is certainly relevant for those with an interest in screen dance and looks at technology and movement. So highly recommend that as well. But without further ado, we are going to go to our interview with Wilkie Branson. So here we go. All right, Wilkie, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast when we are always 
dreaming about what topics we want to discuss and who we'd love to have on. Your name was the first name that we thought of when it came to dance and animation because we've had the privilege of seeing your work evolve over the years and quite frankly, having our minds blown when we saw Tom uh, featured online numerous times. And um, before we deep dive into our conversation, I definitely want to shout out the Motion Dance Collective that interviewed you recently. And we're going to link to your interview with them in the show notes for anyone that wants to really deep dive on Tom and, you know, hear from those amazing people again. But Let's focus on our dance and animation talk today. So, Wilkie, for those of our audience members who have not had the privilege of seeing you or your work yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and why we might have chosen you today for our discussion on dance and film and animation overlapping? Great. Yeah, well, f- firstly, like, thanks for having me on. I really, I'm really honored to be on the show. Um, uh, my background really is in... Originally, I started out as a as a b boy, so I, I got into b boying when I was at college, um, and then that led me to doing a lot of dance films and and really rather than kind of focusing uh, doing live work, doing films was it was quite it was it was more interesting to me in a lot of ways, but it was a lot more accessible. And then I think over the last ten years, I've started incorporating a lot more animation into what I do. So. Um, I've been doing stuff that's kind of like quasi stop motion stuff and some 3D animation stuff, um, photogrammetry and sort of lots of different types of stuff and trying to incorporate that into choreographic dance practice. So before we get really deep into the artistic process and and the nitty gritty on how your choreography and your animation interact, um, you are self-taught, which is amazing. And I think really indicative of the time that we live in. It's so amazing. And I think inspiring to really highlight people like yourself that have developed these skills over time, just following your passion. Can you share a little bit about how you learned how to do these different techniques and what really got you interested in that? Yeah, sure. I think we do. You're right. We do really live in a really interesting time where it's amazing that the potential you can go onto YouTube and get an, a tutorial and learn how to do almost anything that you want to do. Um, and the technology itself to actually do the things has come on so fast and so far that um, we can do a lot. But I think I've always kind of worked sort of in that way. And, and I think it came from my background as a b-boy I think it's part of the hip-hop um mentality to kind of um be self-taught there aren't you know especially when I was learning in the late 90s there aren't many institutions or even classes that you could go to to learn and um you have to at the time we really had to teach ourselves the skill of learning um and it's something that I think is a really important skill and and once you learn how to learn new skills um you can it kind of really opens up the doors to doing all sorts of things um and as i say right now the the information is out there on the internet and the technology is there to actually do a lot of these things so once you get past the the mental block which i, I think that is a big part of it is feeling like you don't have the permission to do something because you haven't been trained in inverted commas to do it um but yeah, once you get stuck in, um, you kind of build confidence with it and then you're away. That is so true. And thank you for sharing that because I think people need to hear it over and over again from more and more people doing different, very specific things. 
and then maybe it'll land that it's not too late and you don't need to do this or that specific thing uh, to develop. So that's awesome. Um, as far as your skills that you've developed with animation and dance, it seems that you've really been drawn towards stop motion. Did that come from maybe watching stop motion or having an affinity for it at a young age? Like why stop motion specifically? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question because I actually like a lot within Little Dreams and also within Tom, the aesthetic is stop motion. So the characters themselves look like stop motion. <laughs> the actual process is not stop motion um, in a way because, for example, in Little Dreams, all of the figures are kind of cut out. Um, but to have adjust, to have the backgrounds moving at a full frame rate and then have the figures moving at a sort of stop motion frame rate, um, the technique for combining them is half analog, like the stop motion version and, and half digital. Um, so, and, and, and it's kind of the same with, with Tom. It's a, it's a weird mixture of doing different, mixing different techniques together to get the result that you need. Um, but you're right in that the aesthetic that I've gone for is quite a stop motion aesthetic. And I think it, reflecting on that, it's really because when you look at a piece of stop motion, you see, um, you see the time and you see the craft and you, you see the consideration for each frame in each second if it takes you hours or days to make one second of work you you we, we you put so much time and thought and effort into it and i think as an audience like we've been brought up on that aesthetic and we recognize that it it represents the human hand and the the, the craft of 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 working and um and for me that's something about taking imagination and what we have in our minds and and manifesting that physically um so i think there's something in that 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 gives a value and gives a certain universal kind of quality to a piece of work through that aesthetic which you know conversely we kind of don't associate that with pure cgi stuff we kind of because you know a lot of us grew up on really bad cgi into the uncanny valley that dark and awful place where cats live <laughs> Exactly. We see it as the cheap, the quick way of doing it, which um, is changing now as it's getting better. Well, I think that it's really reflective of the fact that you have such a unique process that combines these different media. It, that's maybe why your films, your screen dances feel like they're from another planet. How do you kind of define your aesthetic or your mood or, you know, aside from the, the technical things, what what kind of soul stuff are you pouring into the work that you're making? Definitely whenever I start with a piece of work, it starts with something that is um, kind of little nub or a seed of truth or meaning or something that I want to express. And I think that reflects the kind of soul that you're talking about. And that's the thing that the whole piece of work kind of grows out of. Um, and then the aesthetic and the world or however that is visualised it's so tethered to that, that each of those things as it gets built on and whether that's the decision to make the aesthetic look stop motion or, you know, as with Tom to do these like physical models that were scanned to create the environment, it, they're sort of, they're practical decisions that um, are made to serve that thing that lies at the centre of it. 
Um, and I think that's quite the converse of like making a piece of work where you go, oh, okay, we can, I can digitally scan something. So I'm going to use that as my starting point. And that's a really experimental way to find out how to do new things. But um, I think with my work, I'm kind of working the other way around. So I'm starting with a truth or a piece of meaning and then finding the best techniques that are available to me in order to express that vision. Right. And you mentioned YouTube as like one place that you go, but something that I'm thinking for like an absolute beginner who knows literally nothing about, like if you don't know the search terms, like if you don't know the right questions to ask, you don't know what to find. So where would you recommend people get more acquainted with understanding what those different techniques are and what might actually be worth their while um, or more worth their while to try and to explore? Yeah, that starting point is the, it can be the difficult thing. And I think that probably a good way of starting is to look at pieces of work or films, um, you know, if it's animation, stuff like that, or computer games. And there's, again, on YouTube, maybe not a tutorial of how to do it, but look at the, you know, the behind the scenes or the making of for it. And then, and usually within that, you'll pick up a couple, you'll pick up a couple of things, you know, and that will open a door and I, and within Tom, for example, when I first started making it, it had to be because of the way we we were going to project it, it had to be a 3d thing. It couldn't be a, um, a flat thing or I couldn't film it as a stop motion thing because we had to split it up. Um, so I was going to try and make all of the assets, all of the models and stuff in, in the software in 3d or buy them off of a artist and then sort of pull them together from a library but it was through looking at stuff that was available on a library that I kind of saw this work that was photogrammetry stuff. So it was like rocks and things. And, and I didn't know what photogrammetry was. Um, and then, I, you know, so I looked into it and I was like, oh, okay, they're just objects that have been photographed and sort of magically turned into digital assets. And then that started me off onto the process of that. And then I was like, well, I can just make all the models by hand and scan them myself. So I think if you just start with something that you like, look at how they made it um, and then just kind of follow that path and, and see where you go with it. But you're right. It is, there's so much stuff out there that you can get lost quite easily. And, and I think that what stops me from just getting lost in a minefield of all these different possibilities is being clear about what I want to do and whether that's okay. I want my film to look like fantastic Mr. Fox, or I want my film to look like Naruto you know, look at that and then go, okay, well, what, how have they done it? And then you'll find other similar things and how have they done it like that. So otherwise you will get overwhelmed. Well, and we can't underestimate the, the willpower that goes with it as well, or like the Wilkie power that goes with it. You know, the, the mentality that you have to have and the strength to say, yeah, I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to figure it out. I think that's really important for people to hear over and over again. Can you share any recommendations on animation or visual art or even anything you want to drop to our listeners that uh, they might want to check out that, you know, is curated by you for us to see? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, there is a project that I discovered it when I was making Tom because they were sort of working in parallel and doing quite a similar thing, um, but making a computer game. Um, and the project's called um, Harold Halibut. Um, and it's, it's basically like um, a point and click adventure game, 
like it used to get back in the 90s but it's all made with actual sort of models and sort of claymation stuff so it's a really unusual and it's quite similar way of making things to tom um but in terms in the computer game space it's there's nothing really like it but it does have that that quality of when you look at it rather than you're looking at a computer game you're looking at um something that you can see the 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 humans that have made it and created it and all of the thought that's gone into it um so i don't know if you can put a link to that or something but there's some really good videos showing the process that they went through to to make it absolutely and we'll also link little dreams tom your website your social and the making of because that's an amazing part of your projects as well i mean if i i would be so tired <laughs> after just making the the thing in the first place but the fact that you're taking the time to also make the making of so people can learn and see the amazing behind the scenes like that's its own fascinating thing to watch all on its own so we will definitely link all of those things in the show notes Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Wilkie. As I mentioned, we are huge fans, and it is a big honor to have you in person uh, sharing about your work instead of us just gushing about what we saw. So thank you very much. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I, wow, Jen, that was such a fantastic conversation with Wilkie. And it's, I'm honestly impressed that he's able to distill so much information about Tom, which is such an, well, an immense work, not only in length, but just so incredibly detailed. Like literally every frame is a labor of love in that film. And I really like what he says about, I'm certainly paraphrasing here, but he has this, comment about the method of animation versus the aesthetic of animation. So, and you really do see that within Tom. You really do see several types of animation styles that are kind of, I don't want to say thrown in, but they're really melded in to create different textures for the characters and for the environment. So we really have this very altered 3D environment with some very, I mean, incredible, incredible 3D rendering but we have our main character who almost exists as a walking stop motion figure and really this kind of stunted figure contrasting against sort of the smoother uh the smoother landscape really uh brings out the emotional depth of the film as a whole yeah wilkie's style i have to say it's definitely even though he says it's a method there is a pure aesthetic just watching watching his other works and seeing you know, the auteur come to life and seeing that beauty and poetry through each shot. Now, with all these films that we're talking about and also the merriment that has been contributed into Tom, we can't get through all of them, but there's a number of other stop-motion-like and combined animation films that we have in the show notes for you so please definitely take a look at that but we want to look at some other great examples of work that maybe you don't normally see in the film festival or anywhere with dance and one of them i have to say is claymation you never see or you barely see claymation or some kind of figure stop motion like animation in dance film 
And um, when you think of claymation, like I always think of like Wallace and Gromit or Chicken Run, or if you're looking at like those kind of like little puppets, you could think probably think of like Rudolph the Random red-nosed reindeer or uh, fantastic mr fox or um, isle of dogs uh so one film that we definitely have to elevate is actually a film that my friend did a while back called groggy grog and i remember him when he was actually making this and he's like i want to make a screen dance claymation and he did it and it looks great and uh what are your thoughts on this film well, first of all, claymation, even if you're an expert, is so hard to do well. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, I can't even imagine just the very process of molding it and just like, how do you make sure that, you know, no fingerprints are on this? And like when you're coming up with these examples, how do you how do you visualize it and execute it in a three-dimensional space? Because it's one thing to draw it out and then, you know, sketch it out and keep iterating that. It's another thing to have something melt you know, frame by frame, moment by moment, and have that look believable. And I think this film is fantastic, not only in its technique, but also in its relatability. And the again, I always say like, you know, kinesthetic empathy is very important, but that's <laughs> something that reads incredibly well here. Even though Grug is a very humanoid figure, the the mannerisms are so relatable and just the feelings that this grug you know goes through and this the physical trials it goes through are incredibly relatable like i i'm convinced i felt that in the morning i think that what makes this film very successful and maybe this is just claymation as a whole but i think gravity is very well shown in this because not just from grug's figure or the way it even moves on screen, but just those moments where like, yeah, when you said melted, you know, we know that feeling of feeling weight and heaviness and moments when we feel at light. Uh, I think that, and also playing with clay, like, or some kind of Play-Doh, everyone knows that feeling and in your hands. So gravity, physicality and physics just does justice in groggy grog thanks thanks connor <laughs> something i really appreciate about claymation compared to a lot of the other types of animation or methods is that you really are looking at something tangible and i mean cronenberg already came up earlier in this conversation but you know films like that where you see a physical uh, like a physically constructed special effect instead of some sort of computer-generated image. To me, I find it more entertaining. I think it's just more interesting to me. And it can also just look more convincing. And in this example, in Groggy Grug, like you have a blanket that is completely independently dancing and has this personality. And I think that's such a beautiful part of animation is that you really can you know, as the word indicates, bring life to things that would not look convincing in another form. And I imagine, and I mean, I'm not a claymation expert at all, but to make the the world that we're seeing believable, to make the law of gravity seem believable, 
you have to, I imagine you have to add so many more frames than you normally would in regular animation because it'd be one thing if you're going like a 24 frames per second thing and we were seeing sort of like this choppy movement. But here, like, I can't even imagine just like the, the breakdown of having, of how would something like this move and then how, like, how, how do we ground this but also make it ex- out of this world as well? Well, a helpful way to do that is kind of reverse engineer or go in the opposite, um, is to take the opposite approach uh, with rotoscoping. You know, sometimes you have films that actually capture something with a camera, like that is a real, you know, not a constructed computer graphic or a constructed illustration. It's actually motion picture footage. And then it's manipulated to have these different effects and to be rotoscoped so that it plays back with the appearance of an animation. Well, with all of that, I mean, that's how most of these are made. I mean, we could say that all of these are considered rotoscoped in some kind of way because we are using references from dancers. And I think what rotoscoping does is take that extra step by not just animating the figure, but the whole space around them kind of just... Uh, exaggerating what the movement does. And, um, you know, that movie Waking Life by Richard Linklater and how this, like, weird dream state of mind that movie takes you on. And another film that I have to say in the dance world that does really well, a shout out to another friend of mine, (laughs) Angela Rosales-Chalice, with Stages, which is a beautiful painting in a way but like a digital painting in motion talking about what we bottle in feelings wise and emotions and with rotoscoping it's it's more tedious I mean all animation is tedious but it definitely accentuates even more imagination than you can imagine with everything that we're discussing with today. Well, and similar to what you're describing with Rotoscope, like this combination of real life and animation, there are those films and those short films that do that in in a way that is almost like Space Jam or Who Framed Roger Rabbit or Invitation to the Dance, if we're talking about a dance-specific example. And that's another way that we stretch our imagination and you know, as a as a kid starting to watch these things, you sort of take for granted, like, oh, of course I know what the dog thinks, or of course they can talk, or, you know, of course it makes sense that both Goofy and Pluto are dogs, yet one gets the dignity of a human character and the other one's Mickey's pet, I digress. But, you know, animation allows us to expand our, imag- our imaginations. And I really love an Invitation to the Dance. I definitely think it's something that everybody should watch. It's just so life-affirming and fun and amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I feel that way about everything that Gene Kelly has ever made. Yeah. And I think that there's such a dialogue, not necessarily a dialogue, but just such a sense of awareness that, you know, both Kelly has in knowing that he's dancing in this animated world, but also the an- that the animators have as far as, you know, what are really the capabilities of, you know, of movement here in real life, and how can we accentuate those capabilities, but have everyone almost dance as a unit? Like, I I mean, I do love just that introductory scene where, you know, Kelly's there in that sailor suit. We see the the two guards on the side, and they're doing that, like, 
out in, out in movement, which is such a simple, a simple movement, one that can feasibly be formed in unison by all characters, but one that really shows the, the difference in worlds between the two. So circling back to the beginning of our conversation and how Potajo is this great example of music made visible and making dance really easy to process with the use of animation, you have examples like what we see on social media or like in this music video for the song King by Grades. What I'm interested in what you think because I could see both sides of it where some dance purists might think, well, you're eliminating the elements of mime and gesture and the dance part, and you're just putting a moving sticker over it in a way. But I also understand how some people might think it's absolutely brilliant and what we should be doing. So what are your thoughts on when we see, like, animations kind of exaggerating the lines or the imagery of a physical dancer that we see? I've personally always been a fan of it. Uh, When you say lines... In particular, I just think of Bruno Mars, um, That's What I Like music video. That was a great example of imagination and just like, again, bringing out something simple. And I I am going to say trendy. It is trendy. It's something that we do a lot. I mean, when you think about uh, fist bumping someone, you always kind of see the lines come into motion integrating that feeling of touch and or like there's connection there and with the music video king it's a kid imagination what are we talking about today you know like i think for that it it, she is having fun building this world around her and within the heights there's a whole section where the main characters are walking through the streets and playing around the hand gestures and right there it's kind of just like inviting you into what they're seeing and bringing the viewer in yeah the king music video i feel does that well and i think that that's even more believable in the performance of that young mover and just how carefully considered and how carefully the drawings are animated around her now Oftentimes, especially in screenings, sometimes you'll see animation be used very arbitrarily. So, I mean, usually it's in the form of like, okay, dancer in front of green screen and there's, you know, stuff moving around them. Not really interacting with what they're doing, but just kind of there in space. And there needs to be dialogue between that mover and what's being animated. Like it just can't be, you know, layers upon layers upon layers of, oh, this looks cool. This looks cool. This might look cool. It just it just doesn't read. I think that what you said there is so true. And it's just a universal rule when it comes to any type of art or production. You know, it's like, what is the reason behind the choice? Is it just some sort of technical gimmick? Is it something that's just there to look cool? Or is it something you can really integrate into the choreography and into the whole? You're so right. It does make a difference when... It's just kind of there as a backdrop or as like a, a, a glaze over top or just some sort of veil rather than really woven into what we're seeing. But I think we did a really good job. I mean, not going to lie, listeners, we were <laughs> there was a lot of planning for this episode and trying to curate the list and find like really strong examples and a good range of animation and then 
grouping them by the kind of animation, but some of them were more than one kind, and we're not experts. So we hope that today was a good summary. And whether this was an introduction for you or sort of a recap, we hope that you really enjoyed exploring these different ways that film and animation and dance all have combined. And of course, if you have any amazing ones that we missed, we would love to see them. Send us a DM or email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any favorite tutorials about any types of animation or different animation to play with, please share them. And we would love to shout them out. Well, we've covered a lot of animation today, and I think we should probably revisit again in another episode this season. Maybe we will. We'll see. But please, like we've said, there is so much that we weren't able to cover in the episode, but we have it in the show notes for you to watch. So please take a look at those. There's some great films that we have featured there. Other than that, thank you, everyone. And thank you for listening. Until next week. That's all, folks. Do you love what you're hearing? Do you want to be heard? Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's frameform, P-O-D. If you really love what you're hearing, leave us a review and rate the show. It makes it easier for more listeners to find it. If you want to spread the love, tell your friends to subscribe and keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.